This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, The Legendary Dog Whistle Brandon. Do you ever come across a founder with an idea that makes you think to yourself, damn, I really think they're on to something here. That's how I feel about today's guest, Shantae Frazier, founder of Wellcapped, a data-driven beauty company that provides online rig rentals through a monthly subscription. For those unfamiliar with the space, you might be trying to figure out what's so special about this idea. Well, for me, it's simple. I spend a lot of time between Newark and Harlem, and everywhere I go, I see black women packed in small shops getting their hair done, whether that's getting braided, extensions added, or purchasing wigs. My everyday lived experiences give me insight into a market opportunity that many may not see. And now that I have, I can't unsee it. I'm not a venture capitalist yet, but if I was, I would definitely invest in Shantae. And you'll hear why on today's show. She's a black woman attempting to raise venture capital for her health and beauty startup, which is a challenging category to do within itself on top of the abysmal amount of venture capital going to black founders, period. That's why I wanted to invite her on the show to not only share her story, learn about how she's thinking about growth, and help activate my network to support her efforts. In the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, with disrupted supply chains and stricter hygiene protocols amongst everyday consumers, this presents a new level of complex challenges for Chante and her team to overcome. But I'm confident that as long as she continues to weather the storm, she has the potential to build something big. I'm going to help her as best as I can because I'm big on lifting as I climb, and this platform affords me the opportunity to do so by connecting dots that otherwise wouldn't exist. Before we hear from Shantae, I got a couple quick updates for you regarding the podcast and Ironbound Media. We're in the midst of a rebrand with my brother from another, Drew O'Brien, founder of Make Cool Shit. Moving forward, Drew will be a recurring co-host of the show as we build out our network of badass designers and creatives to support many of you who listen to us. Over the next few weeks, you'll see some new designs rolling out, a new intro for the show, and some other things. This is me building in public a bit, and I'm excited to have you part of the journey with us. As typical, I've already been talking too long, so let's dive into our interview with Shantae. Gunny, take it away. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Brandy brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and Mission Plus, where together we're building the next generation of confident, resilient, and badass entrepreneurs and brands to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding and founder of Ironbound Media. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brain. Saddle up, lock and load. What's going on, everyone? About to chop it up with my man Drew O'Brien, who joined us as co-host of Dog Whistle Brandon, and our guest today, Shantae Frazier from Wildcap. How y'all doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Pleasure as always. I told Shantae before we went live, excuse me, She's going to make fun of me. And here's why, right? I'm wearing a blazer and a pocket square, y'all. And me and Drew <laughs> built a brand making fun of people who wear blazers and pocket squares. So before you logged on, Drew was like, Mike, who the hell are you 
you think you are? <laughs> but I'm trying to, you know, we talked about it, man. I'm trying to change my image a little bit. I'm trying to level up, you know, leaving You're 2023 behind. Grown man style. <laughs> and, you know, just speaking quite frank, right, as a founder of color, one of the things I've noticed is that people often try to uh, dumb down your greatness. You know, mm-hmm. you walk into a room, I'm rocking my little Ironbound boxing hoodie. Shout out to Drew again because he made the logo, right? And that's one thing. But when I start walking around my little blazer and stuff, all of a sudden people be like, excuse me, sir, what is it you do? Uh, you got a card <laughs> on you or da da da? So that's why y'all see me dressed up today. Yeah. I hate that it's that way, but I agree. Yeah. I do this. Yeah, thing. but the difference is, Mike, you have like a dope suit on. The people that we're making fun of are not the dope suit people. You know, true. people who are suited and booted, they're good to go. But the people that have like the generic blazer with the khakis and the white button down, it looks <laughs> like you've worn it every day that week. That's that's the difference. 100 mm-hmm. percent. And part of it is and maybe I'll talk about this on the podcast, but I do this mental workout every morning where I kind of do my centering breath and I do an identity statement. And that's how I work on myself every day and like trying to bridge that gap between where I am now and where I want to be. And part of that is being well-dressed, well-groomed, you know, suited and booted, as we like to say. Right. And then also accomplish my business goals. So I got business goals in there as well. And these are just little tips of the trade I've picked up over the last few years, because I'm sure Shantae is going to talk to us about, man, entrepreneurship is brutal. Everybody be selling it like it's the best thing since sliced bread. But it is hard. It is a grind day in and day out. And I'm excited to hear your story. So without further ado, introduce the people to Wellcapped and what you guys are doing in the e-commerce slash subscription space and uh, your big win with uh, Better in Shark Tank. Yeah, definitely. So I'm Shantae Frazier, co-founder of Wellcapped, which is the first wig or until subscription company. Um, prior to WellCap, I was working at PwC as a senior consultant, and then a little bit later at Wayfair, at Wayfair as a senior merchandising manager. Prior to that, I was in the Army National Guard as a military intelligence officer, and that's how I was connected with Veteran Shark Tank. What year did you launch WellCap? In 2021, my aunt gave me the idea. At the time, I was still working at PwC. And then later on in that year, I moved on to Wayfair. They gave me an offer. And I said, okay, I'll stay here for a year. So that my RSUs, which are company stock, basically, I wait for those to, what's the word I'm looking for? It's been a long day. When they finally ate. Yes. I'm going to wait for the one-year cliff. So you have a one-year clip that you have to wait for the company stock to invest. So after that, I left the company and started working on Wellcap full-time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of founders have this origin story of like this epiphany when they came up with their idea. And then they're like, I got to build a business around it. What was that for you? I didn't have that. So I went to something called a venture studio, which is, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't really have an idea right now. So they give you the capital up front. It's a little bit backwards. They give you the capital up front and then they work with you to come up with an idea. And one week I was on the phone with my aunt, um, who used to be a cosmetologist, and I had no clue what I was going to pitch that week. And my aunt said, someone should create Rent the Runway, which is a company that allows you to rent out clothing. Um, Someone should create that for hair extensions. 
And at first, I didn't like the idea. Um, if I'm being completely transparent, I thought, like, no one is going to be out here renting weeds and wig. But I went home and started doing the math and figuring out how big the opportunity was. And then I had a dream and I saw, like, the company 10 years from now. And, yeah, that's when I was all in. <laughs> what was the venture studio you were part of? It's called um, In Motion, and it's backed by Generator. Generator with an eight. Yep. Yeah, I actually have a coaching client that uh, went through something similar. That's super dope. I didn't know that's how you got your start. Yeah. Drew, I'm sure Drew's got some questions on the branding. Talk to us about, okay, so you had this idea. What was the first step that you had to take to get it off the ground? Um, coming up with a, well, first validating it. So reaching out to people in my network who I knew were hair extensions. The number that we got for Forbes for the hair extension and wig industry was $6 billion in the U.S. alone. But I wanted to make sure that number made sense. So started asking people how much they were spending annually. Um, and then after I got those numbers and validated that people would be interested in renting wigs, if they were clean and sanitized and they knew they were clean and sanitized, um, then I went on, came up with a name, hurried up and went on Fiverr and got a logo. Um, the name that I originally came up with was Glossé, G-L-A-C-E. <laughs> I saw Drew doing the thumbs down for Fiverr, but I love Fiverr. Um, but the name I originally came up with was Glossé, G-L-A-C-E. Then, you know, with an accent mark, because Black people love an accent mark. And then I had a dream and the name Well Cap came to me in a dream. And then I switched over. <laughs> Drew, you got any questions? I have multiple, but my first question has nothing to do with branding, nothing to do with graphic design. Does your aunt have equity? Is she getting a royalty or what's the deal here? <laughs> Not yet, but we're going to definitely formalize that agreement. You, you got to cut her a check. Yeah. You know? she, this, this wouldn't be real if it wasn't for that. Uh, yeah, but I'm so grateful for her. I have no problem with Fiverr. Obviously, I'm joking around. It's, you know, not everybody needs to go to a big agency like ours. But for what it's worth, I love the current name rather than the previous name. It's just a little bit smoother and you're it's more literal. Yeah. And it's also a play on well kept. No one owned that on Google, so we were able to buy uh, a whole bunch of URLs that were related for cheap, very cheap. Yeah, so I'm very happy. But <laughs> Now, I was talking to Shantae about she's got an MBA from NYU, and there's a lot of vets out there that, you know, or not even just vets, people in general that think they need to go to business school before they can become an entrepreneur because, you know, that's what you see on TV. People go to these elite business schools, they raise a bunch of money and blah, 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 right? But I've always thought like launching a venture, they don't actually teach you how to do that in business school. They might teach you how to raise money, but like the day-to-day -day blocking and tackling, chasing sales and stuff, et cetera. What has your experience been like now that you have a company of your own? I don't think I would recommend anyone who wanted to be an entrepreneur to go to B-School. B-School is great for the network. And if you want to go into banking, tech, or brand management, or investment bank, our consulting is great for the connections. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, there are so many resources out there, books that you can read, YouTube videos that you can watch. Google has a whole bunch of free classes. Also, Coursera has a whole bunch of free classes. 
And then also just being boots on ground and actually building, there's there's no match for getting your hands dirty and just working on the company yourself. You got to wake up each day and hit that I believe button. Even though you got no no messages in the inbox, nobody calling your phone, but you still got to roll. Now, for the space that you're in, you know, luxury rigs, went wig rentals, right? A person like me completely understands it. But when you think about like the venture space, right, the people that tend to back companies, there's a lot of, how do I say this, brands that have certain agency in certain communities versus others. What has your experience been like trying to bring this vision to fruition through raising capital? Because I have to assume that, you know, that's not an easy operation to be able to move wigs back and forth, hire a team, do all this other stuff. So it and and you went through a venture studio. So this is a venture backable idea. So how's your experience been? No one believed that the wig and hair extension industry in the US alone was a multi-billion dollar industry. And when I sat back and thought about it, I think a lot of it is because hair extensions and wigs are starting to look so good. Um, you can't really tell if someone has a wig or if they're wearing hair extensions. It's the market that's growing quietly that no one really notices. So what we started doing in the beginning was adding a slide in there saying like, oh, what do all of these women have in common? And then um, saying like all of them are wearing wigs and hair extensions. And now I took it a step further. So like last time we talked, I think I had my natural hair in. But now that I'm fundraising again, I'm wearing my my wig, my well-capped wig. So I like to tell people, investors, like, oh, like the wig I'm wearing today. And then I get the, oh, is that really a wig question? And I think that's been making a difference, too. That's important. People need to see their proof of concept. I always try to tell people, you got to be your brand's biggest fan. You know, like that's why 99% of the pictures you see me in, I was always rocking that Ironbound boxing hoodie. Because in the early days when I had like $300 in the bank account, right, like I didn't have the support that I have now. And so I had to believe it. I had to wield it. And it kind of started to catch on. And so when you're scrappy, you know, in the early phases, that's just what you got to do. Now, I got to ask, when I think about certain spaces, right, like it's great that, oh, man, there's this huge market opportunity. But then I'm also like the strategist in me is like, why is, there, why is nobody swimming in this water in the first place? Why do you think that is? It goes back to the previous question, which is how has it been pitching investors? The people who have the capital to get this off the ground or the resources to get this off the ground don't really realize how big the market is. There have certainly been hairstylists and cosmetologists who know that people are willing to wear hair extensions and wigs that other people have worn, but they didn't have that tech enablement part to get it up and running. So it's the same advantage that Rent to Runway had um, when they were starting to start in their company of renting out clothing. Basically, there were already mom and pop shops doing it, but no one had done it in a tech enabled way. So we have like um, it's a gift and a curse because it's a gift because we don't have any competitors right now. But it's also a curse because it's a lot of educating the market and letting them know like. These wigs have been sanitized. It's um, safer than the hair that you're getting from overseas vendors. The same thing that Airbnb had to do, Uber had to do, just educating the market and convincing them that they're safe. 
one of the things, and I was actually doing this with a client today, is that people often think of brands, right? They always think of brand first, right? If you want ketchup, they think of Heinz. If you want mustard, they think of Frenchies, right? But in reality, people solve problems with categories first. So it's like, you know, hey, my hot dog is stand, is uh, bland as hell. I need to make it taste better. I need some ketchup. Boom, category. And then what name pops into their minds, right? Heinz automatically. When I think about what you're building, part of why you have to educate people is because they're not used to solving that particular problem through the category that you're establishing about luxury wig rentals. Like it doesn't immediately pop into mind, right? That doesn't mean that they're not solving it in some other way. They're going to their local store. They're ordering. They probably don't do a rental one, but they probably have something permanently that they buy and then they throw it away or maybe they give it to other family members. But that's where the education that you're talking about is really not even selling the brand. It's selling the category of luxury wig rental and coming up with your point of view, which is saying, hey, you know, we see this golden opportunity. This is what we believe in. Why? Right now, currently, there's people that are doing this in a non-tech enabled way. But in the future, you know, with what we're building, you're going to be able to you know, have access to, I think you told me like 50 different extensions and wigs instead of just the, the, the same kind you see in your store over and over again. And I think there's the opportunity around educating on the category. That's where the real gold is. 100%. We were talking to an investor today and we told him like, we're not only building a company, but we're also building a brand and then also a category. So, yeah, when we think about the problem, we're solving to make affordable, I mean, luxury hair extensions more affordable and accessible. So there's other companies solving for that same problem, but no one's solving in the same way that we're solving it. Drew, what do you got? Since you started the business, I know you said you had no competitors, but has anyone tried to knock you off yet? Has anyone tried to do the same thing that you're doing? Obviously worse than you are, but. Has that entered your arena yet? Yeah, we have a we had a few people pop up. Uh, one woman was a cosmetologist. I won't say the name of the company, uh, but she had we have a little FAQ video on our page that talks about the sanitization process, and she copied it verbatim. Um, so, but it made us realize where we needed to build up our moat. So we are working on trademarking the nine-step process that we use for sanitizing the wigs and hair extensions. It's super annoying, but the yeah. biggest form of flattery <laughs> is uh, imitation. Yeah, the pricing model is the same. The name, it, it was a lot. The, even the platform that she used, it was a company based out of Norway that no one knew about, but we were using them at one point. So yeah, it was a lot. Well, here's the good thing, though. Competition is actually not bad, right? We're trained to think of that because we have this kind of scarcity mindset. But one thing people have to realize is when you're creating a category, you actually need the category to win just as much as you need the brand to win, you know? So like, yeah, Uber is the category king of rideshare, but guess what? It also needed Lyft to do well. It needed, what's the other bicycle company, right? All these different, this, you basically need to grow the space. And so part of a good brand strategy, I think, too, is just being radically generous, you know, teaching, sharing your stuff. Yeah, you got some of your secret sauce out there. But when everybody thinks of luxury rental, wig rental, they're thinking of the person that's putting out the most thought leadership around it, that's educating the people the most on it, that's giving out the FAQs, you know, and that's how you build that trust and that 
authority. But it, again, it's counterintuitive to what we're trained to think, particularly as like first time or even second time founders, right? This is stuff that people start to learn the longer and longer they st stay in the game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the best examples I can think of is the electric car. So when Tesla first built out the first model of the vehicle, they made the they made the plan for the batteries public to other car companies because they knew that them as a company could and build the infrastructure, so the charging stations that they needed to make Tesla as widespread as it is today. Yeah. That's actually a good podcast episode we need to talk about, which is open source, because this is what you're seeing with ChatGPT. Took like five years to get ChatGPT one out, then like six months for ChatGPT two, and then it was like a few months for like to go from like three to four, and that was because of open source. When you start having more and more people trying to work on the 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 problem, but that's gonna be a, the separate episode. Now, one thing that we're constantly getting hit up, Shantae, is brand awareness. How do we build awareness, right? So. How did you get those first few initial customers? And when you were crafting your brand strategy and saying, that, hey, this is how we're going to introduce ourselves to the market um, and start to grow at scale to get the numbers that you need for investment, what did that look like? The first 10 customers um, came to us. So we got taken a step back. We got really lucky and got to do a TV show on Revolt TV called Bet on Black before we even had a um, website. So we had people reaching out to us before we... We were able to take um, customers. Then from there, we were able to handpick who we wanted to pilot with because, again, we only had like five or maybe eight wigs at the time. I was buying, yeah, I was paying for them at retail price. And my only thing was proving that the concept would work. Um, and then after that, we um, went out, purchased a whole bunch of wigs, and then we basically had inventory just sitting. No one was reaching out to us anymore. And then from there, we had to come up with a strict customer acquisition plan. Um, we couldn't go out and do like a HelloFresh Blue Apron type of thing where we're paying people their trials for free. Um, so what we decided on was a three-part strategy. The first is um, brand ambassadors. Um, so these are micro-influencers. We'll reach out to them ask them to apply to be an ambassador and they get one month free in exchange for content. And then from there, they're able to um, earn money from everyone who signs up using their link. The other thing was when we first launched, we were just um, trying to tell everyone in the U.S. about us. And that doesn't work. What we've noticed is by focusing on Atlanta, um, putting all of our efforts in Atlanta, we're able to make people think that we're a lot bigger than we really are. Um, so people trust us more because no one wants to rent wigs from like a mom and pop shop. They want to know that, that they're renting from something that has a standard and audit process where they feel safe. Um, so we created almost this echo chamber where people feel like they see us everywhere because we're popping up at events, we're sponsoring events by giving out. Do I have one over here? But we'll give out like a gift bag with Wellcat branded merchandise. We can't afford to give out wigs, of course, for free. But let me see if I have an example. But an example is like a little Wellcat fan, miniature fan or a mini selfie light um, with our name on it. And then like a little postcard. Here's one from a Spelman event with a, a promo code on there so we could tie back which events are doing well. 
And then from there, people are starting to see your name out there um, and recognizing the brand more. And then the third part is um, just a regular referral program that everyone does. Um, so given our members, we know that word of mouth is our cheapest um, acquisition strategy. So given our re- um, members discounts and three months of well cap in exchange for telling their friends and family about it. That's dope. <laughs> now, Drew's a website kind of guy, right? Like I was on again with a client today. And I asked them, they're like, yeah, we want to get traffic to the website. And I was like, in your 10 years of business, how much business have you had come through your website? They're like, none, you know, but I know there's a way to make it happen. So what does that look like? Like, how do you make that happen, Drew? How do you actually get traffic to a website? Obviously SEO, but is there anything else? Well, I mean, you know, Shantae kind of hit on it. You have the word of mouth, right? And that's actually something that money can't buy, right? And that's what every brand will die for is to have that word of mouth so so that is amazing i saw your website i know that you're on shopify there's a whole type of there's all these nerdy terminology that we could use but at the end of the day if you go ahead and run an ad you got to figure out if i'm spending 50 dollars a day i need to be making at least 100 dollars a day off that ad right you need to make sure you're targeting the right person you need to make targeting the right demographic i'm assuming women in this case right you have to make sure you're targeting perfect. And then you have to combine that with the piece of creative, right? Now, the one great thing that I noticed about the well-capped website, you have a little video in the bottom right corner. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I've never seen that before. So that was a great strategy for me. I was like, wow, okay, let me click it. You know, it's an attractive woman saying, let me pick your next style. Her hair is absolutely gorgeous. Like immediately, that was a great aspect of the website. Versus another entrepreneur, they might say, oh, we don't need that. Well, guess what? You do. Because I've seen 100,000 websites this month, and I did not see that. And I might have to copy it and do it myself on my website. Yeah, it gives us a lot of data on the back end, too, because we can figure out what they're selecting. Like, do you like longer hair, shorter hair? Do you like more of the full wig or more of the clip-ins? And then we can use that to go out and buy the inventory that they're asking for. With the website, have you all invested in any ads? And here's my take on it, right? And yeah. this is where me and Drew, that's why I got that, you know, yin and yang, right? But when I just kind of look at the landscape, like I like winning, all right? And the people that have Buku, venture capital, whatever, they can outspend us in this space, right? And so for certain e-commerce brands, right, they, we know ads are important, but I'm always wondering of like, if you don't have the horsepower to back it up at the scale some of these others do, does it make sense to spend all your time spending money on ad or trying to create organic SEO through like the content marketing, through the brand activations in Atlanta where your consumer is? We don't have the knowledge for we don't have the knowledge for the time to sit back and learn SEO or how to optimize ad spend. So instead, we've been more boots on ground, getting our face out there, doing different like what we're doing right now, sitting down and talking to different people, just spreading the word that way. But we do know that there's a lot of value in spending in ads. We we love building in Atlanta, so there's a lot of perks to building here. One of those was that we received a grant, a $10,000 grant from the city of Atlanta. 
to invest in ad spend across different social media platforms. And they gave us an agency that would basically um, manage all of that. So we didn't have to touch anything. We provided um, links to our last photo albums and then they made the creative for us. Um, and they got the wording together and then they pushed it out there. We didn't have to do anything. And we saw all the returns from that campaign. Um, so we know the power of spending on ads. We just haven't, we have to be scrappy. So we haven't invested in that, but that's one of the reasons why we're raising our pre-seed right now. Talk to us about your, your raise thus far, right? So we didn't even really get in the veteran shark tank, yo. Shantae went out there and killed it, y'all. Right. You were the sleeper in the room. Right. They had the little network in the van. Everybody's talking. You know, you you mean people they ask you what you do and you tell them. They're like, oh, that's interesting. But they weren't accounting for the fact that you had this PWC background. You were polished. You know, you got up there, you gave your presentation and you freaking won it and crushed it. How did that feel? It felt great. We went out there without any expectations. So it felt great to. Um, take home the check um, and the connections that we made. We met so many people. So many people reached out to us on LinkedIn via email asking to help us. Um, so yeah, this was great. Um, we've done, what I do is every Saturday I take an hour or two just to apply to different non-dilutive funding, um, meaning grants um, and different um, scholarships to different boot camps. And then um, we'll use that to help basically extend our runway. So far, we've only raised money from angels, so friends from business school, um, and also um, mentors and advisors. And then we also completed um, Techstars, so we got a check from Techstars as well. But now we're doing our pre-seed raise. I call it our big girl raise. Did you do Techstars Atlanta? Or did you yes, we did Techstars. Yep, and we completed it in October. And Mike, I didn't talk to you about this, but I initially tried to raise a five hundred thousand dollar round in twenty twenty two, and I wasn't successful. Um, so now we're going back out raising capital. But the blessing about not being successful in twenty twenty two was we did not know how to acquire customers back then. Um, so I think we would have. I know we would have went through. There were a lot of things we did not validate. So I think we would have went through that check and we would have been in a position where we're not hitting those MRR metrics that people are looking for when investing in a seed round. And we probably, I hope not, but we probably would have. Black people don't get two to three times to go out and prove and validate. So the company may not be around if I would have been successful in raising that pre-seed round. That's a million dollar insight right there. Like, I remember my first few, I mean, Drew knows, like, I'm a Drew, man. Getting customers ain't easy, but it's a skill set like anything else. It's a muscle, and you got to work it. And I've seen this consistent with a lot of first-time founders, right? You get out there, and you start swinging for those fences, Mm -hmm. but you don't have the foundation laid. You don't know the basics of, like, like you said, just getting customers. So I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that things are still working out for you. And I think you can Mm -hmm. tie that into your whole story. I tried to raise half a million. You know, back in 2022, I wasn't successful. Here's what I learned. Boom. That's a great way just yep. to kind of educate yeah. and be radically generous to the space. Because a lot of people are going to be looking up to you as an African-American female founder in this space that people are succeeding in. You know, we talked about Kelvin Beasley 
uh, who I hope to get on this podcast because he runs Sunday yeah. to Sunday. And I think there are other people that are going to be paying more attention um, to these underserved uh, market opportunities that they're not even thinking about. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Like, just looking at the one I'm optimistic about fundraising this year, um, just seeing a lot of signal from the market showing that investors are starting to have more activity now. Um, so one of those signals is when investors are ready to deploy capital, they'll start doing a whole bunch of programs, boot camps where they're like paying for founders to fly out. That didn't happen a lot in 2023, but now I'm starting to receive a lot of invites. Um, and then also um, a lot more people are answering our emails now. Before we would get a no or a hey, we're not deploying any capital right now, but let's keep in touch. And we're not getting those anymore. So I'm very optimistic about the future. What have you learned about targeting the, the, right, type of, the right type of capital? You know, so like in my mind, you're talking... And I don't know if you're part of these guys' investment thesis, which is the Harlem Capital Partners, but my fiance lives in Harlem. You can't walk the beat without seeing these little African hair shops. And, you know, I mean, I see it every day. You know, and my fiance, she wears extensions and stuff too. So I just kind of feel like, where can you find people, whether they're in Atlanta, investors in Atlanta or in Harlem or some of these other communities where you're not having to swim upstream? It's like, you talk about this idea and they get it right away because they see it every day or they have family um, that's doing it and being more of a sniper, you know, in terms of who you're targeting and reaching out to instead of just trying to kind of boil the ocean. Because one of my themes this year is values. Do we have value alignment? And I think that's going to be the way moving forward. And unfortunately, right, people, you kind of have to get burned a lot before you actually realize this. Yeah, we've been finding that people who have a higher appetite for taking um, have been our sweet spot. Um, and that's just, well, those tend to be VC funds that have been around a little bit longer and they do have a higher value of deals happening. And that's just basic math, right? If have a smaller fund of only 10 to 30 million dollars you can't afford to take bets on people building new categories unless that company is already doing um a hundred thousand a monthly recurring revenue or something like you you have to you can't afford to make that if you're only investing in 10 to 15 companies each year for your first and you're only on your first or second fund you have to make sure those companies have already gotten past the point of validating our deal. So we found that our sweet spot has been reaching out to people who do higher volumes um, and they're willing to take the, and also invest in, they believe in making the playing field more even. And there's different ways to do that. So some people say, hey, you don't have to know anyone to talk to us. There are funds out there where you can't even send them an email, a cold email, they ignore it. Um, and if you think about how networks work, like if I'm someone and I didn't go to a good school and I didn't really have a strong network, how am I going to get in your inbox? So I'm um, looking for those people who believe in level on the playing field, who do high value deals and who have an appetite of risk have been our sweet spot. Love it. Drew, what you got? 
And I keep going to Drew, y'all, because this is me and Drew's second podcast together. So we're still trying to learn how to be like Scotty Pippen and MJ. Not how they are now, because they don't mess with each other no more. You know, it's a whole, whole situation. But you know what I mean? Like how they were back in the day. I think you kind of hit on something earlier, Shantae. You didn't get that half a million dollar mm-hmm. loan, right? And sometimes as business owners, you work better when your back is against the wall. It's not fun. I hate it. I've had to do it two or three times in mm-hmm. my, you know, seven years of running my own business. And it's a little different when you do get that 500000 Maybe you're like, oh, okay, I have a couple, you know, you could take a breath, right? Maybe I could, you know, I don't have to work, you know, 12-hour days anymore. But at the end of the day, you still, you know, yes, you got the money, but now you need to go pay them back and, you know, and then some. So getting mm-hmm. that blessing and then finding out how to get that customer, because that's the first question that, you know, the the venture capital firm's going to ask you is like, okay, how much is it? How, what's your cost per customer? What's your MRR? Like you said, they use all the acronyms you could possibly have. But, you know, if you're building it and bootstrapping it, most businesses, you know, that's how the big ones are built. They just don't like to, you know, put it out there. Everybody thinks, okay, go get a loan, run some ads. You'll create a company if you know how to do it right, right? There's about mm-hmm. 10,000 other things that you have to handle every day that, you know, play into being an entrepreneur. Exactly. You hit on something else, Drew. So we didn't get that $500,000 investment that we were seeking. But what that taught us was how to be really, really scrappy with nothing. Like, and what it reminds me of is my military days. Back, if you weren't, back in the day, if you weren't a good runner, what they would make us do was run in a higher altitude um, during PT. Um, Also with heavier shoes, which I'm sure is not good for your anatomy, (laughs) but they would put heavier shoes on you, make you run in a higher altitude, at a higher altitude. And what that would do is when you were in normal conditions with lightweight shoes, you would fly. And I think that's the same way for founders who have a disadvantage, whether that's a capital disadvantage, a network disadvantage, a a resource disadvantage, whatever that may look like. Operating under those um, conditions, like a bad economic environment, it almost becomes the survival of the fittest and those who are able to survive once they do get that capital. Because they've been so efficient for so long, they just fly. Have you thought about doing crowd crowdfunding? Yeah, but it's a big, it's a lot of effort. You have to do a lot of marketing. I think I read somewhere that less than like 2% actually get funded. So I think we're too early for crowdfunding right now. We just don't have the time yeah. to put in the work that would get the returns. But eventually, I would love to allow our customers and even some of our friends and families to actually own a part of the company. I think that would be awesome. And then maybe you get like a three-year discount or something. I'm not sure what it would look like right now, but I would love to do that eventually as we continue to grow the brand. And then my last question for you is, I'm going to talk about crowdfunding in a minute and why I brought that up. You look like you have a cool little team behind you, right? I see the influencer, the little lady, the young woman in the video on your website, right? And then I just kind of see all the people, the, I guess those, those micro-influencers, are they part of your team? You know, what, is, what does it look like, like behind the scenes? <laughs> They're influencers. A lot of times we just got lucky. Like I was at a TikTok dinner and ended up talking to, Kumi Monet, who's a perfume influencer. She's 
normally you have to pay a very hefty price um, to get on her Instagram grid. But me and her ended up vibing, just talking about our personal lives. Um, and she ended up just being one of those people who posts for us for free. Um, we also have people who will do it just um, because they're our friends. They believe in what we're building. One influencer, she went to Spelman a few years after me. So we just, but honestly, we've been getting really lucky. We have not paid. Actually, that's right. We have, last month, we paid for five influencers through a marketing agency, but their content isn't live yet. Other than that, we have not paid for any ambassador influencer. Roger. And the reason I ask these questions, mm-hmm. right? See, people think we do this podcast because, you know, everybody's want a podcast, you build an audience, yada, yada. No, like my b- belief, my philosophy in life is lifting as we climb. And Drew and me are working on some behind the scenes about each one teach one, you know? And so, you know, by you coming on our platform, right, our brains are already spinning on who do we need to connect you with to get you one step further to your goal, you know? I've already connected you with Emmanuel Leia. I'm going to ping him again. Emmanuel, if you listen, you better open that inbox, right? But there are some others. Like, like I think when we're first starting out, we think we have to go at this alone. But then we built our little ecosystem. So now, you know, like you send me your deck. I got venture investors that I talk to all the time. And I'm saying, hey, can you look at, can you look at this? Or incubators that you mentioned. You mentioned the venture studio, you know, in motion, right? That's how this all works. We start connecting and supporting each other. You know, I have a, a, a woman that is a crowdfunding attorney. She's done some work with Kim Lewis from Curl Mix and some others. So that's why I was asking that question as well. So, you know, part of it is like learning your story and then also figuring out ways behind the scenes how we can help you get there. Thank you. I love that. I love that. Drew, I got, before I close this out, you got any more questions for Shantae? Not really a question, but just piggybacking off of what you said, right? It's super cliche, and I probably say this once every two days, and I hate that I do it, but if this shit was easy, everybody would do it. I say that all the time. Have you read Phil Knight's book? Um, Shoe Dog? Dog? Yeah, The Cowards Never Started and The Week Never Finished. I love that. <laughs> I'm about to, I'm writing that down right now. I've read it, but you, you're, you're <laughs> Oh, I love it. that. I have it on the sticky. I, I, I might have to reread it there. <laughs> the Cowards Never Started. The Cowards Never Started. And the week never finished. <laughs> and he was in the military too. Yeah. And he worked at PWC. <laughs> All right, Shantae, last question for you, right? I'm a big Jim Collins fan. He talks about uh, big, hairy, audacious goals or BHAGs. What is your BHAG for well capped? So when you think about, you know, two to three, maybe even 10 years in the future, it might not even be that long because this is what I forgot to say. There's a wave right now. What's her name from the honeypot? Just yeah, raised or partnered 380 million. I think that's going to put a lot of attention <laughs> on black women. Black women are the mm-hmm. a growing market. I think it's prime for investment. And so I want you to take advantage of this right now. So go out and raise, but also talk to us about your BHAG. Yeah. So I want us to be the go to search for all things beauty. So not the mainstream brand, um, beauty brands, but the smaller tele brands that people. It's hard to discover just because there's so much noise happening in the beauty space right now. And I would love to be acquired by LVMH. I would love that. That's like a dream position. Well, we got 
veteran entrepreneurs, military spouses, not even just vets now. We're actually opening the platform. But we got listeners tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, how can they help you accomplish that goal? If you have any LVMH um, connections, let us know. We've been looking into doing some stuff with Sephora. Also, Ulta. Um, I know that's not under the LVMH brand, but also Ulta, if you have any connections there, would love an introduction. Um, and then who else have we been trying to connect with that we haven't been? Mostly those two. Um, Ulta and Sephora. <laughs> love it. How can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? Um, my email is Shantae at wellcap.com. And then our Instagram is at wellcap, W-E-L-L-C-A-P-P-E-D. We're also on LinkedIn. And then we have a TikTok page, but we don't really post as much as we should on it. Love it. Well, I'll be sure to include a link um, to your website in the show notes. I'm headed out to the Milvet Startup Conference in about three weeks. Those tend Very to be good. more, okay. you know, venture back SaaS products and whatnot. But it's still a great way to kind of build network and community. And there are going to be some investors there that I definitely think will be interested in what you got going on. So I'm excited to follow Thank your journey. You. you and I are going to continue to talk and help each other out. So thanks for coming on the show. Drew, anything before I clap, close us out? Yeah, hit me after because I might have that LVMH connection for you. Oh, I definitely will. See, that's what it's about, y'all. Mike, do I have Drew's email? I will. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure you get that. But uh, for everyone out there that's been tuning in, we appreciate you. Until next time, peace, love. Oh, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter first and have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we blend strategy, storytelling, and podcasting to transform your brand into a dog whistle for your perfect customer. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by Mission Plus, a tech platform that helps nonprofit organizations upgrade their websites and leverage technology to deliver their services online. If your organization cares about its mission, then it needs to be built on Mission Plus. You can learn more by visiting missionplus.com.